morning. If you were looking for signs of physical life, what would you look for? There you go. Pretty straightforward. Pulse, breath. How about signs of spiritual life? If you wanted to know if you were healthy or barely breathing, what signs would you look for? What are the signs of spiritual life? Uh, some indicators make most top ten lists. Certainly Bible knowledge, and again, these things are important. Uh, prayer, giving, fasting, evangelism. Uh, people in Jesus' day who wanted to evidence spiritual life, evidence them by these five things, Bible knowledge, prayer, giving, fasting, and evangelism. And the people who evidence these behaviors most consistently were the Pharisees. Bible knowledge, by the time they had completed their learning, they had memorized the Old Testament and the commentary on much of it. Prayer, six times a day. That times, no matter where they were, if they were out in public, walking around, they would pause and pray. Um, fasting. It was required to fast a couple of times. Once per year, they figured, well, 100 times, that would be 100 times better. They fasted 100 times a year, twice a week. Giving. They gave a tenth of all they got. And gifts to the poor on top of that. Evangelism, Jesus commented that they travel over land and sea to win a, sing, to win a single convert. Uh, relative to these five indicators, they were devout. They were disciplined. And here's what Jesus said. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. Let's go to a cemetery together. Imagine digging up a cemetery, digging up corpses. And let's position these corpses. Let's put one holding a Bible. Let's have one fasting. Not real difficult. Let's have one praying. Let's have one reaching in, giving. Have one evangelizing. Um, this is Jesus' view of the Pharisees, posturing in things that speak of life, but in fact, dead spiritually. Which leads us back to our question if these can be inaccurate signs of spiritual life, I'm not dismissing them as important. All I'm saying, if you wanted to find definitive Signs of spiritual life, Bible study, fear, prayer, fasting, evangelism. Don't do that because the people who represented these most faithfully were dead spiritually. Um, how about signs of spiritual life? What might they be? When I was in China, I was in China for a couple of years taught, we went through a process of evaluating the curriculum for middle school and high school Bible. I was a middle school Bible teacher, among some other things that I did when I was there with locals. But what we did then as a department of those who were teaching the Bible is we were responsible to do a curriculum audit, which is we're going to get new curriculum. And so the process whereby you would do that 
you had to go through a process. First, you have to determine what do we want to produce. If we're in business and producing products, physical products, we have to be clear about the product that we want to create, manufacture, right? And then you gear up to figure out if we want to do this thing, make this thing, what machine and what people do we need in order to produce these things, right? That makes sense. What about in an educational context? What are our goals? And that's what we had to think through. What do we want students to come away with? That was first. The, the tendency is to get a curriculum first. Let's buy a curriculum and figure out tests and teach it to the kids. And that's not the way you do it. You determine what do we want these students to know and do. That's first. Okay, in light of that, having identified that, how do we assess those things? And now, what curriculum do we buy? We bought better curriculum. We had a, a middle school curriculum, went through the Bible, and that was good. It just went section by section. And so we leading middle school kids through Leviticus and Second Samuel and First Chronicles and, um, yeah, there you go. Um, came back from China and myself and a team of others, we got together and we, we decided, let's do this. Let's try this activity. What are our goals for the people who are at Hope? Let's see if we can clarify them, crystallize them. What do we want people to learn? What do we want them to walk away with? Before we determine what we're going to use, we've got to determine what we want to produce. That makes sense, doesn't it? What we did, we came up with four things. Four things that represented were really these signs of spiritual life. Acts. A-C-T-S. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'll give an overview in the next four weeks, we'll look at each of them one at a time. A, authenticity. C, confidence. T, transformation. S, strength. X. And what we determined is that as a result of people coming, these are the things that we wanted to encourage to produce. Authenticity. What it says in the sheet, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus said, be on your guard, watch out. It says, um, keep it in your mind. If, if, this, if you find this in your mind, if the yeast of the Pharisees has implanted itself to the degree it has implanted itself in your thinking, spit it out of your mind. That's the image Jesus is creating. If you find it, get rid of it. The way you had to do at Passover, if you found yeast in a house, you took the yeast and threw it out in order to cleanse the house for the Passover feast. It's the same picture being created. If you're going to do some inventory in your brain and find something that like yeast in a house you need to get rid of, here's what Jesus said. If you find hypocrisy, get rid of it. There's interesting things happening at the office right now. Lots of crickets. And so what happens when you find a cricket, you don't want the cricket to stay. You take it, and not just crickets, I don't know why these things are there, but there's these worms. 
there. They're about this long, and so you walk around. Anybody have problems with these worms? Anybody say, no, no, we're just the only ones. A plague, a plague from God upon us. So what you do is, you know, so you're walking around, you see one of these slithery worms, and so you don't want to leave the worm there, so you have to pick it up. They roll up in little, they, they roll up in a little thing, and then you pick them up, and then they crunch, which is not a pleasant experience if you, anyway. Um, so when, in terms of looking for those things in your brain, hypocrisy is the thing that Jesus targeted. Um, hypocrisy is literally concealed judgment. It comes from two words, hupa, which means under. New Testament was written in Greek, and that's what this, a lot of Greek words were combinations of two simpler words, hupa, under, Christus judgment. Judgment that exists under something, and as it relates to hypocrisy, what it means is that on the surface, it seems like everything's fine, friendly, amenable. But the judgment that exists is underneath. That's what hypocrisy is, as it is used in the Bible. Somebody smiles at you. But the thing, you know, I remember seeing a movie once that says, you know the two things I don't like about you? Your face. <laughs> Two-faced. There's one face. But then there's the real face underneath, concealed judgment, judgment that exists underneath the surface of the water. That's what hypocrisy is, concealed judgment. A smiling face concealing a judgmental heart. There's a couple problems with hypocrisy. Number one, first problem, it's a problem because God doesn't judge by how things look. Remember that thing with David when God was looking for a king? Samuel said, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart uh, for Pharisees and not just them. When image is everything, we assume because image is everything to us. It's important. We judge individuals by how they look. We would like to say we don't, but we do. We do. But God is unlike us. He does not judge by outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And what does he look for in the heart? When God assesses. But uh, it says, Hebrews 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. God's judgment is like a blade which cleaves, and it cleaves for the purpose of inspecting what's inside. You can't judge what's inside unless you divide it. Again, the picture is nasty, but it's, it's not literally a sword, but when God looks, he doesn't look at the outside, he looks on the inside, and it talks about what he looks for. He looks at the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thoughts are opinions about God. That's what thoughts are. You know, we have thoughts about a lot of things. We have thoughts about sports, thoughts about politics, thoughts about food. Lots of thoughts. When it talks about thoughts, there's a word that describes thoughts primarily about God, opinions about God, and that these opinions are stated or not stated. We oftentimes keep them to ourselves. A lot of times we don't even want to think about them. We don't want to think about what we think about God. That's what thoughts are. That's what God assesses, what God looks at. You remember the parable of the talents. 
Remember the parable of the talents? God gives these individuals talents, asks them to do something. This guy took his talent. Remember what did he do with it? Put it in a cloth and buried it. That was his action. And then the master comes to him and does an inventory, asks him, and looks at what it is he judges. He doesn't say, where did you bury the thing? He doesn't look at the action. You know what he ends up saying? Because this interview said, I knew that you were a hard man, taking out what you didn't put in and reaping what you don't sow. So I was afraid, and I hid the talent. Now, what was the attitude? What was the thought? Remember, the thought is the opinion about God. You're a hard man reaping what you don't sow. And when the judge, when the, the, the boss comes back, he says, I was a hard man reaping what I don't sow. That's what he looked at first. God looks at the opinions about God that we have about him, the thoughts about him. And then he looks at our attitudes based on the thoughts. Now, if God's a hard man reaping what you don't sow and reaping and taking out what he doesn't put in, how, will we, how is this servant going to feel about him? Frightened. What's the problem? The, the attitude comes from the opinion, the thought. Would you agree? Thoughts, attitudes, actions. And when God assesses, he looks at the thoughts and attitudes. Uh, the problem with the Pharisees is that they, targ they taught people to act as if God judges a car by its paint job. God doesn't judge a car by its paint job. Mark, there you go. There's the car illustration. We're good. Um, he judges it by its engine, by its drivetrain. He looks at what's inside, what's under the hood. Pharisees, they didn't act that way. That's the first problem is they, with hypocrisy is God doesn't judge by the outside. The second thing, there's another problem with hypocrisy is that it's spiritually cancerous. This is, he says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Yeast is something that attacks and spreads. It's like a spiritual cancer. Cancer is a good illustration. What cancer does, it inhabits healthy cells and kills them. And hypocrisy kills healthy spirituality. That's why Jesus says, watch out for it. It's when God puts his crosshairs on spiritual enemy number one, he puts it on hypocrisy. It kills healthy spirituality. Um, for this reason, authenticity is job one. Learn to see what's real and say what's real. See what's real in yourself. And we'll talk about that next week. Say what's real about yourself. Definitely to God. Always to God. Say what's real. He knows it anyways. Don't pretend. Say what's real. And to people who are safe. If there's somebody judgmental and harsh, it's not a real good person to open up to. If you find somebody sympathetic, and that's good to be open, both this way and this way. We'll talk about authenticity more next week. Authenticity, A, confidence is the second one. Got a question. What is the evidence of faith in Christ? How can you tell if a person's faith in Christ is developed? Developing. How would you measure that? What it says in Ephesians 3, 
in him and through faith in him, talking about Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. How can I tell how you how much faith you have in Jesus? Apparently, by how you approach God. By how you approach God. If you approach God with freedom and confidence, that's an indication of deeper faith. Now, all of us are in process here. And if you're saying, Mike, I don't approach God with freedom, and we'll define those words. I say, Mike, I'm very tentative in how I approach God. I get that. We're all at a stage in spiritual development. It's not something that you arrive at. But would you agree with me? It would be important to know the goal of faith in Christ, to know if you are moving, if you are deepening in your faith or not. Would you agree with me? It's like you have to know what it looks like before you know if you're developing. What it says, faith in Christ allows us to approach God with freedom and confidence. Let me tell you what freedom means. Freedom here is the ability to speak freely. If when you ask somebody in charge, excuse me, sir, permission to speak freely, permission granted, and to be able to disclose what it is you think, that's what it means to approach the throne of grace with freedom. Freedom is the capacity to speak freely, to be open, to be candid. Confidence is about inclusion. If freedom is about expression, Confidence is about inclusion. It is when somebody is persuaded that they belong. If I am a stranger in your house, if I don't spend much time in your house, I'll come in and I, I'll wonder about, well, you know, is it okay if I have my shoes on? Where do I sit? But if I'm comfortable in your house, what I'm going to do is come and just plop myself down in a seat because I know I belong. I know I'm included. I can be part. I can be comfortable in your home. And that's what it is pointing at there. Confidence is coming towards God with the awareness that he really wants you there and you know it, that you're included there. Um, when we talk about confidence then, be still before God because you know you can be there. You know what it's like when you're in a place you're not quite comfortable with? You might be agitated and you're kind of looking around and, you know, you see you watch and not very comfortable. When you're comfortable in a place, you can just kind of, again, I understand that that's not where we are with God, but it is his goal for us. That's his goal. We would develop the capacity to come into his presence, listen to this, and relax there. (laughs) Now, again, that's a tall order, but it is what he wants. The evidence of faith in Christ. You can start to relax in God's presence. Not only relax, but speak openly with him. Speak openly with him. And speak openly about the things you see inside of yourself. God, I both like you and don't like you. I am both comfortable with you and not comfortable with you. It's exploring your real opinions about God openly with him, and your attitudes towards him. God, sometimes I don't trust you, but then I do. Again, it's being open. God already knows. And when you express yourself, that's what he wants to create, that type of relationship. 
A secure child experiences a couple things from a parent. I'm looking at Hillary and Ian. And as Ian, and we've been hearing from Ian on and off. I'm glad he's in here. What's going to happen with Ian? He will regard both Kent and Hillary. Hillary's holding now. Let's, let's focus in on Hillary. A safe haven. A safe haven. When Ian gets close to Hillary, he starts to relax. He starts to let down. And Kent, I've seen him with that as well, but we'll focus on Hillary now. And not only that, and as he grows, not only will she be a safe haven, she will become a secure base from which Ian explores. He'll connect with her. And then when he's able to walk, she'll put him down, and he'll see if she's there. And if she's there, he'll explore. And then if he gets a little afraid, he'll return to her and find safety and be a safe haven. And then he'll go back to exploring again. In fact, that's how you can tell a child is securely connected with parents. The child's ability to come to the parent as a safe haven and move from the, the mother as a secure base from which to explore. Um, this is what these two things are pointing at. God wants you to relate to him the way Ian relates to Hillary. That God becomes a safe haven for you to return to, that you can talk to him. And a secure base from which to explore. Explore what? Explore your feelings and emotions. God, I feel this and I feel that. I want this and I want that. Usually we're so busy throwing a penalty flag at things. This is bad. I can't say this to him. And we don't explore it with him. When you begin to approach God with freedom and confidence, you begin to explore things with him. Things about yourself. God, why do I do this? Why do I feel that? Why do I end up here? Understand that? And then a dialogue begins to happen. That's what God wants. The evidence of faith in Christ is the ability to approach God and speak freely with him. As faith in Christ increases, our ability to be still and speak freely with God the Father, with God, increases. Transformation. We asked, what is the evidence of faith in Christ? It's how we approach God. Approaching God with freedom and confidence. That's what faith in Christ looks like. Another question, what does it mean to be Christ-like? What does it mean to be Christ-like? Let me throw that question at you. What does it mean to be Christ-like? Just think about it. What answer would you give? Give it to yourself. But I want you to form an answer. What does it mean to be Christ-like? There is a place that Jesus talks about what he's like. Listen to what Jesus says about what it means to be Christ-like. Take my yoke and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. What does does it mean to be (laughs) Christ-like? Do you believe that? How many of you came up with gentle and humble? That's what it means to be Christ-like, because that's what Jesus was like, gentle, humble. Um, Say, Mike, what's gentleness? We'll talk about this when we get here. I'll give you a picture difference between gentleness and judgment. They, they tend to be on flip sides. 
Gentleness builds one thing, and judgment builds another. Okay? Gentleness builds bridges. Gentleness builds bridges that connect. Judgment builds walls that divide. Does that work? That works. That works. In fact, do you know the only person Jesus was judgmental of? Those who, speaking on God's behalf, depicted God as judgmental. Those are the individuals Jesus judged. If you were talking about God being judgmental and harsh, Jesus was a fierce adversary. If you were a regular person who really was trying to figure this whole thing out, you found Jesus to be gentle, a bridge builder, somebody you would connect to, somebody you wanted to hang around and be with. Transformation. Becoming more gentle and becoming less judgmental. What does it mean to be Christ-like? That. Becoming more gentle with yourself. With yourself. More gentle with others. Some of us are very gentle with others, but not very gentle with ourselves. If you listen to our inward talk, it doesn't sound good. Some of us are gentle with ourselves, but not gentle with others. Um, what it says in Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We looked at these. Never will I leave you. Um, there was a place where it's talking about the word for leave. I'll tell you what it is. It's about Paul when he was... Stealing says, cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. If you're looking for an image of leave, it's when they reached down and untied the rope from the rudders. That's what it means to leave, to untie. So when God said, never will I leave you, it's I will never untie you and cast you adrift. It will never be that you are at the whim and mercy of the sea. I will never cast you adrift. He said, never will I forsake you. Paul writes about Demas, a man, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Jesus was at a place and Demas deserted him. What he did was left him, I'm sorry, not Jesus, Paul. He left Paul behind. That's what it means to forsake someone, to leave them behind. And what it says, God says, I will never leave you behind. If you're stranded in a very difficult place, you will not have to look for me because I will never leave you in that place. We've talked about it. I know we have some who are in the Marines. Um, Semper Fi. Semper Fidelis, never leave somebody on the field of battle. A Marine will not do that. That's their pledge. And Jesus is the same way. I will never forsake you. I will never cast you adrift. I will never leave you behind. And apparently, this is what transforms us. 
Because what he says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Is greed a problem? Absolutely. What do you do to deal with greed? you got to get somebody with a big finger in your face, right? No, you don't. You know what you need? You need to hear God say to you, listen, I will never untie you and cast you adrift. And I will never leave you behind. Do you really need to store that many things away for a rainy day? Am I not going to be here five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now? Am I going to untie you in fifteen years when you reach retirement? Twenty years when you reach? No, I will not. And I will never leave you behind. And to the degree we believe that, you know what it ends up doing? Keeping us from the love of money. Transforms us. Transforms others. Presence of gentleness and the absence of judgment. Okay, how about strength? The last one. ACTS. Signs of spiritual life. Authenticity. See what's real and say what's real. Confidence. Be still before God. Speak freely with God. Transformation. Become more gentle. Become less judgmental. Love. Strength. Know his love and show his love. But it says, Paul, in a prayer, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. Okay. I pray out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. What's going to happen because of that strength? What does that strength do? Good question, right? What it says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know what it takes to grasp the love of Christ, its height, depth, breadth, It takes strength. That's the strength to know his love. And that's why Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God would strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. And you, being rooted and grounded in love may have the ability with all the saints to know the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. What does it mean to be filled with God? Rooted in His love. What do you need for that to happen? Strength. To know his love. Strength. To show his love. But it says in 1 John 4, we know we love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. To know his love and show his love. Take strength to know and show love. 
Here's a question. You look at yourself. We tend to hang on to our resources and not share them with people. What do you do if you see yourself being unloving? Be careful. Be careful here. What do you do? Line up for the beating? Need to go someplace to get this guy to put his finger in my face and say, you better get off your wallet. You know what the deal is? Here's the deal. A plus C equals T plus S. It's an equation. Do you know what A plus C is? A plus C answers the how question. How? How can I be the person God wants me to be? It begins with authenticity. See what's real. Say what's real about yourself. God, you know what the deal is? I cling to things. That's the deal. See what's real. Say what's real. Confidence. Be still before God. Speak freely with God. You understand expression is non-negotiable in spiritual maturity. We come to the place where our faith in Christ is deeper when we find ourselves having conversations like this. I can't let go of this. When I find God, I find myself wishing I could be more generous and not being able to be. I have a lot of the roots of my security driven into this thing, driven into money. And I see what the way I'm supposed to be, and I'm not like how I'd like to be. At one point, I really would like, and just taking this for instance, too, I'd like to be less greedy. And that's being authentic. Just say what's real. See what's real. Say what's real. And then confidence. Be still before him. He's not going to whack you. Speak openly with him. What would you like? You know what, God, I'd like for my heart to get bigger. I'd like to be able to give more of whatever it is, myself, my talent, my time, my reason. This is just one area. There's all kinds of areas, aren't there? All kinds of things. A plus C equals T. And this is true. As you become better at expression, and your faith in Christ allows you to, you will become more gentle and less judgmental. It, it does happen that you will find yourself knowing his love and showing his love. A plus C equals T plus S. And these are the signs of spiritual life. We'll talk about them. Come on up, worship team. We'll, we'll talk about them, and we'll pick one per week over the next four weeks. And it will help us to know not only how God wants us to become who he wants us to be, but what God wants us to be like. Father, thank you for um, your purposes, that they're good. You would have us use authenticity and confidence, not use them, but inhabit them. Learn to be still before you and speak freely with you, feeling included, and because included, expressing to you 
and experiencing the strength to know love, to show love, to be transformed. More gentle, less judgmental. All of us have a ways to go. Thank you for being the one who walked alongside us. And uh, Jesus, thank you for coming, understanding, because you are God and man. You identify with God, you identify with man, and you are a perfect advocate. Help us to be like you, in Jesus' name. Amen.